the incomparable. Number 469, July 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. In this episode, we are going to be talking about a new film just released in theaters uh, last week. Uh, so we, we were quick about it. We are going to talk about Spider-Man, colon, Far From Home, the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe installment and the second Columbia Sony Spider-Man integrated into the Marvel Universe Spider-Man movie. I love Spider-Man and I wanted to see this movie, which was directed by John Watts, written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. It's the Tom Holland Spider-Man. Uh, very happy to do this discussion of one of my favorites of all time, superheroes. Uh, and I'll tell you later what I thought of the movie. Uh, with these three wonderful people, Chip Sutterth is here. Hello. Jason, you can wear the mask. Thank you. I have so many masks to choose from. That's the funny thing. Uh, boy, Spider-Man has so many costumes. Remember when he only had the one? Now there are just so many <laughs> costumes I'll have words about that later. to choose from. Uh, Cicero Holmes is also here. Hi, Cicero. I have swept in. Excellent. Swip. And over there in the corner, it's the night monkey. Nope. It's Moises Chuyan. Hello. Nah, actually, I think, Jason, uh, it's, a, it's a Moises ripoff, night Moises. Night. That's, oh, that's what he's that's called. Right. He's that's French. It's French. It's the he's French. French. He's French. Uh, with a Spanish name. Even even more layers of obfuscation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, in Europe, they do different stuff with superheroes over there. Yeah, everybody in Europe speaks like 12 languages. I am a little disappointed that, that no European superheroes heroes were involved in this movie at any point there's never a discussion of like who are the european heroes because you know right. I, I you say european heroes and and the first things that come to mind are canadians because i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember a bunch of marvel's european there's villain captain canon. britain at least until captain brexit happens yeah, right. there's all those Marvel UK characters that Americans have never heard of. We can talk about the plot. I'm not going to walk through it. I only saw this movie <laughs> one time, but uh, I did enjoy it. See, oh, now I've given everything away. I did enjoy it, of course. <laughs> yeah, spoilers, Jason. Where's the horn? Yeah, if you're listening to this and haven't seen the movie, please, it's in theaters now, probably. Go see it. Yes. I wanted to start out with some cinematic universe housekeeping, because one of the things this movie has to do is deal with being after Avengers Endgame and needing to deal with everything that happened in Avengers Endgame. And some of that is very strongly thematically linked to the to the plot involving Tony Stark's death and how Peter and Happy and the world and his former employees deal with it. Uh, but right. there's also just the fallout of the resurrection of people who turn to ash after five years in what when the opening scene is referred to as the blip because we get another wonderful scene with the super cheesy high school TV news show, which I loved so much from the first <laughs> Spider-Man movie. And they they deal with the fact that some people are five years older, including one of the characters in the movie who's a little annoying little brother who's now a high school dude. And I, I wanted to start there with all of you. How do you think this movie handles the setup? Because it really is going from huge culmination of long storyline and then like, oh yeah, and then we have to do a Spider-Man movie so it's I, I feel like a difficult thing to navigate how do you all think uh, this movie did navigating that stuff I think it works out pretty surprisingly well. At some points, it feels more like an epilogue to Phase 3 of the MCU. Which it definitely is. And, and sometimes it felt like that more so than a Spider-Man movie, at least when they're dealing with the aftermath of the blip. I prefer Glenn Weldon's The Snapture. <laughs> but it does manage to do both jobs. I've seen the movie twice, and 
I don't know what it is about recent MCU movies, but they seem to grow on me on the second viewing. Mm. I thought uh, the first time around that it felt too much like an MCU epilogue and not enough like a Spider-Man movie, but my opinion significantly improved later on. Yeah, I felt similarly, but also it was funny how funny they were able to take something because from from the you know the aftermath of the blip, the aftermath of Endgame. Uh, it when you know when when I was in the theater watching Endgame for the first, second, and third time, there were audible sobs in the audience. Mm-hmm. And after we get of uh, the reveal of Mysterio, um, you know, before we get the Marvel credits, as we roll into that, we get "I Will Always Love You" huh. uh, oh, by God. Whitney by Whitney Houston with the the cheesiest montage. The Comic Sans or right, Felt, right, Felt exactly. or whatever cheesy the, the fonts. Comic Sans yeah. font. <laughs> and it's 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 a funny bit of business, and it also communicates a lot of information all at once. According sure. to everybody, as far as everybody knows, Captain America's dead too. Right, which right, exactly. which d- we didn't have established. Cicero, I agree with you completely. One of the things that this movie does, and I think they it does it again and again and it's good is it makes the choice to go for the the joke and the laugh yes. and to lighten the mood yes even when dealing with the dark sad you know right. consequences right. most of the time it it takes the step toward the lighter you know making a joke right. about the the blip right instead of right. trying to further that tone of Endgame, which i thought was really a smart move and in that way it is very much a spider-man movie it is very much peter parker it's very much who that character is that that uh spider-man always meets the heaviest of circumstances or most of the time meets the heaviest of circumstances with a you know a poorly timed uh <laughs> but but albeit funny joke yeah dad joke uh, basically we yeah, i exactly. used to call those spider-man it, jokes turns out now we call them dad jokes but they're still yeah. spider-man <laughs> jokes they are <laughs> yeah that, that's what they are well i mean so my example is uh, and i i alluded to it earlier the little brother who's now part of the group and is interested right. in mj coming out of the the end of endgame there's a lot if you wanted to process it it's like oh my god all these people who lost their partners and they moved on and people who've lost their houses and were presumed dead and like all of that and now they're back but obviously this is very complicated and what's what spider-man far from home does is say uh is personify it as oh my god that annoying kid brother is now this super hot guy who's after peter's girlfriend and like it's just it's a it's a laugh it's not we're not going to get into the more problematic difficult dark places of this people being resurrected after five years we're gonna we're gonna go with the joke mr harrington's wife pretended to blip and <laughs> ran off yeah <laughs> and we had a funeral i i had it <laughs> the uh, the annoying little brother uh is a is a 13 going on 30 looking teenager and uh and you don't really uh, you don't really explain too much about him other than just shorthand uh who he is and then he gets really annoying really fast yeah. and not over explaining stuff is is the reason that so much of this stuff works if we had a lot of stuff really breathlessly drawn out like complete encyclopedia of the marvel universe style it, it would be a slog and it wouldn't have that kind of oh terrible things are happening to peter parker but it's kind of hilarious at the same time this is very entertaining well doesn't aunt 
Aunt May basically say that she pops back in and there's other, right. other people living in her apartment. But again, yes. it's yep. sort of told as a joke, as an aside yeah. at her fundraiser. And then we move on. We never have to deal right. with the emotional consequences of that. It's just it happened. You know, she says she pops back into her apartment and, and the wife thinks she is the mistress, you know, and hilarity ensues. And then <laughs> after she has that conversation, you know, Spider-Man uh, stiffly walks up to the microphone and, and there's feedback and, you know, like the the whole thing is played for as a gag yeah. um, and it's and it it is the perfect kind of palate cleanser to or at least the 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 yang to end games ying um, with from from definitely from that perspective. Yeah, I think you need a, a tonal shift here. Yeah. Uh, and it's a Spider-Man movie. And how do you get past it? And you get past it with humor. And then and then there's a gap until next year when there will be more Marvel movies. So it it's almost like this is how they dodge the question. And then it will there'll be enough time that they can probably say, well, then time passed and everybody got it together and they don't have to go into the the details of just how complicated people coming back from the snapshot actually is and i i think it's a i think it's a really clever smart way of doing it speak for yourself i was looking forward to the psychological <laughs> horror of it all <laughs> we just made mention of the 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 point where spider-man appears on stage at the at the benefit and that's one of the notable things from the trailer that was different in the trailer where they put him in a different suit and i, I figured it bore mentioning that for most of the promotional campaign of this movie they were doing a lot to hide whether it was a prequel to yeah. Infinity War and Endgame, whether it came right. after. We we managed to get a lot of this movie promoted to us without knowing precisely when it happened. We just knew that Spider-Man was going to be swinging around and fighting giant elemental bad guys and this Mysterio guy was going to be around. And that that leads into the one part that is treated more seriously, I think, of the Endgame storyline, which is the fact that Tony Stark dies in Avengers Endgame. And he's a mentor figure, figure for Peter. And they have that moment in the movie uh, where... Again, Tony's wife is right there, and the, this kid should probably get out of the way so she can say goodbye right. to him before he dies. But uh, clearly, they have they have those moments, and they have the moment in Infinity War as well. And uh, that is the part that this movie picks up and runs with that I think is thematically kind of brilliant. And it's you know doing how do you, how do you do Spider Man as a character when you've got this thing at his core, which is uh, feeling he doesn't measure up and trying to do the right thing and trying to be responsible. And of course, classically, it is about Uncle Ben and Uncle Ben dying in a way that it, that Peter feels responsible for. And I think it's just a real interesting thing that now with some hindsight and the events of Avengers Endgame, like Tony Stark is Peter's Uncle Ben in a way? He's not not literally. There is an Uncle Ben, you know, the, who who died and all that. But it's like Tony Stark seems to fulfill that role in this, where Peter, as a young kid with a bunch of adult superheroes around him, feels like he doesn't measure up. He has a mentor. The mentor dies, and then he ends up in this thing where the mentor blesses him with power and technology and all of that. But he feels like he did at the end of Spider-Man: Homecoming, where he kind of turned down his suit and the role in the Avengers that, that he doesn't measure up and and he has to that legacy and its representation by by happy and in the end you know flying on the plane and building a suit and all of that like I think it's so smart of of the writers of this movie and the conceivers of the Marvel Universe to have that be the thing that is influencing uh, Peter's character because I think it gets at a very core like spider man -y, 
aspect of the character, but from this completely different thing that emerges out of the stories they're telling in other movies. While this kind of bookend phase three of of the you know the MCU, it also kind of brought in a new phase, you know, phase four of the MCU, but in the very same way that the MCU began. This movie ends with uh, the reveal of who the superhero is, who the primary superhero is. Yeah, there's actually a moment where I thought he was going to say, I'm Spider-Man, and he doesn't do right. that. But in the end, they get to that point, the same point that they got to with Tony. Exactly. So, and, and, and you know, I believe that if they're going to, you know, follow the roots of their own success uh, from, you know, the, the previous 10 years, if we're blessed or cursed with another 10 years, depending <laughs> on how you look at it, maybe we can see something uh, along the lines of some cyclical nature of, of this moment with Spider-Man. The chemistry and the link between uh, Tony Stark and Peter Parker, uh, between Robert Downey and uh, Tom Holland, I mean, you have to make the most of it. And that gives us the story that we haven't seen before with Andrew Garfield. We haven't seen before right. with Tobey Maguire, you know? Right. Uh, so so that is perfect. The, the backstory for Peter, the pain about losing Uncle Ben is all still there if you if you if you're looking for it in the uh in the aside that Tom Holland makes in Civil War uh Uncle Ben's initials are on Peter's suitcase suitcase yep. right so you know so but we're we're getting told a story with the same emotional depth uh in a in, in a new way with a character that we have far more affection to than we do with Uncle Ben there's something interesting about the dynamic of 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 having the male father figures that he wants to look up to um, after losing Uncle Ben without being saddled with, OK, we've got to do the whole same with uh, with great power. There must also come great responsibility thing and the exact same beats that we've seen done over and over and that we've seen in flashbacks in the other movies. And we right. get it. People know who Spider-Man is. It's it's like how many how many uh, how many Thomas and Martha Wayne's have to die in an alley for us to get that Batman's parents were murdered. Why did you say that name? I oh, killed no. 13 Batman's parents. <laughs> well, today, Mr. Wayne, we're going to kill 16 Batmans on this Spider-Man podcast. I love Spider-Man and have since I'm a kid, but I like taking that core aspect of him and exploring it in a different way. So here he has to live up to a tech genius who's also a superhero, which is basically co Peter's core talent, right? He, he's right. those things too. And there's that whole question that this movie engages like straight, straight on when Happy talks about how Tony... You know, Tony was amazing, but he always was self-critical and he knew that he had all these issues and that he couldn't live up to his own uh, personal brand. And that Peter needs to understand that, too. Like, I think that's so incredibly effective to have it be in this case, Spider-Man has Iron Man to live up to. Like he he has it's not just the ideal given to him by a family member. It's like literally another superhero genius hands him the torch and he says, I'm a 16 year old kid. What do I do with this? Which is, <laughs> yeah. that's really interesting. And that moment in the plane where he starts using Tony's holographic stuff that we've seen in the other, in the Iron Man movies to build a spider suit and you see happy look at him. And like, we already yeah. have seen that, that hologram thing. And it's like, he's, he, he, in that moment, he's embracing the fact that he may not be Tony Stark, but this is the role he needs to, 
fulfill. And I, I right. thought it was really, I mean, and, and it pays off the watching those 20 other Marvel movies, yeah. right? Because you're like, I know <laughs> the legacy of what's being passed on here and the weight of it on this kid. That moment when Tom Holland is sort of scooping with the holographic glove, just right. like Tony did in the original uh, in the original Iron Man movie, you know, the audience that I was in both times, they get it when he starts crafting and yeah. people saying, hey, he's doing uh, Tony. But when Tom Holland makes that move. There was an audible murmur in the audience that they really got it. Uh, I love that so many people are seeing MCU movies and they know the canon. I enjoyed that we were seeing that, but that metatextually, subtextually, especially when we got to the mid credits tag, the writers wove in, you know, the, the whole, you know, for the next Iron Man thing. And that's all well and good. And yes, Tony Stark was a great hero. And yes, he literally saved existence, did a lot of good stuff. Doesn't make him perfect. And doesn't mean that Spider-Man should be the next Iron Man. Maybe Spider-Man should be Spider-Man, the mm -hmm. first Spider-Man, and be his own thing. Th there's that question of, did Peter Parker sign up for, and is he the kind of person with the kind of worldview that means that he should have an army of murder drones at his beck and call uh, whenever he wants them? I thought Tony got out of the weapons business. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. he sure seems to have a lot of weapons hanging around for a guy who got out of the weapons right. business. It's all defense now. We rebranded it as right. defense. Yeah. Yeah, it, is, it is just defense. right? Proactive defense. Some people right. call it offense. We call it proactive <laughs> defense. defense. Yeah, there um, you go. I, I, I really love that that we got we got to see that kind of false premise uh, saddled onto. Okay, yes, you're going to take on the mantle and it's going to be great. Except maybe that's the most terrible idea uh, that that one could go with. That just that is yeah. yeah. But but also I think that part of what we saw was uh, this. Peter Parker, uh, as you were saying, kind of eschewing the fact that that, you know, Uncle Ben isn't around, but that he is looking for that father figure. T Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, has is gone, but he was looking at Quentin Beck. He, you know, he looked yeah. at Quentin Beck oh, totally. as much as he was trying to thrust those glasses and the responsibility of those glasses onto Quentin Beck. Um, or, or or basically away from himself. He was also trying to thrust the the mantle of mentor onto onto Quentin Beck, uh, you know, as someone that that Peter Parker could learn from, and mm. and you know, I I need a big brother, I need a I need a male figure in my life that I can learn from. I want to be a psychic. Okay, let's take a little break from Spidey Talk for a moment to tell you about one of the sponsors who's paying the bills for this episode. It's ExpressVPN. Now, you may think that uh, nobody wants your information. Nobody wants to spy on you on the internet. You're, uh, you know, that's just for movies and stuff where there's uh, spider creatures or batsmen or whatever, goobers that you plug in somewhere. Uh, it's not true. Bad people exist in reality. That's why fiction can portray them because they exist and then they anyway i'm not going to explain how fiction works i'm going to explain how express vpn works not only are there bad people who are trying to snoop on you but there are also bad people who are just trying to mine you and your behavior for profit and one of the ways that you can cloak yourself and the data that you leak into the outside world is with a VPN, and that is why you should try ExpressVPN. It runs in the background on your computer, your phone, your tablet. It encrypts your data and hides your public IP address. People can't, tr they won't know where you are. 
they won't be able to match your public IP address with other behavior on that IP address. If you've ever sort of been sitting next to somebody sharing Wi-Fi and all of a sudden the stuff that you're looking at on the internet is coming up in targeted ads on their browser, that's because you're sharing an IP address and somebody is targeting you. You can download ExpressVPN, click to connect, and that's it. You're protected. You are uh, anonymized in a bunch of ways that you weren't before because even if you practice all sorts of safe practices, uh, you're leaking information. Your ISP can watch what you're doing. It's not great. It's not great. And if you want to avoid that, use a VPN. ExpressVPN was rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It uses cutting-edge technology, something called Trusted Server, to make sure there's no log of what you do online. It costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I have tried it out on my iPad. It was super easy. It's also got a location feature, so you can not just pretend that you're in the United States. If you're in the United States, you can pretend that you're in England. You can pretend you're in mainland Europe. There are lots of other places you can pretend to be, so they're, they're going to have no idea who you are, where you are. That's a good thing. I like it. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Snell. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash Snell for three months free with a one-year package. Take back your online privacy, expressvpn.com slash Snell. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting The Incomparable. The one thing that I feel like is missing from what I want in a Spider-Man movie, from um, from what they're doing with him in the MCU. I actually I haven't seen the Andrew Garfield movies, but okay. uh, uh, but I have seen clips from them, and the sense of Spider-Man having a bigger, funnier, louder, slightly overcompensating personality when he's wearing the mask is something that I miss from the MCU Spider-Man, they're really leaning into Peter Parker as the youngin. Right. I love the Amazing Spider-Man 1 uh, scene where Spider-Man confronts the car thief and is just ripping on him left and right all that time. I think I understand why they're doing that because you've already got in the MCU wisecracking characters like Iron Man and Star-Lord. And it is something new to have the unsure... Hey, old guys, remember that old movie, The Empire Strikes Back? You know, it's a different kind of humor. I thought that we were on the verge of getting that Spider-Man at the end of the movie with the swinging scenes with MJ. And then things went in a bit of a different direction. I think you're right, Chip. We haven't gotten that from Spider-Man yet, or at least from the MCU version of Spider-Man. But I think part of that has to do with this insecurity that this character feels because as we've you know as we've kind of said this is the kid amongst you know literal gods yeah yeah. he is he is fought toe-to-toe with thor you know so like and and he was mentored by iron man and and you know the black panther is around and you know all of these guys that are just titans and I think he he definitely does have this imposter syndrome, um, whether real or imagined, because he's he you know he's he's a sixteen year old kid. His voice just changed three weeks ago. Yeah, Spider Man is a bigger character in my favorite Spider Man movie of all time, Into the Spider Verse. Yes, and Spider Man cannot be that big in the MCU. 
Right. At least not well, yet. At least not yet. At least not, not yet. yet. Yeah, the, not yet. The, the thing that I've I've enjoyed the most about this is that he starts out in high school and he's still in high school. Yeah. We haven't gotten him out of high school instantaneously with the second movie, uh, like like had kind of been the trend of okay, it's great that he's a teenager, but let's unteenager him real quick. Are we uh, going to dump Tom Holland in cryogenic suspension just to make sure it stays that I way? Think, no. I think <laughs> the next one he needs to. We need to move forward, right? Like the next, because yes, I, yes, I don't yes. think he can pull it off anymore. He's crossed that whatever that high school. You know, you're in your you're in your early twenties. You can play high school. Then you're in your late twenties and you can't anymore. I think he's <laughs> he's reaching that point now where they need to they need to age him out of high school. But we got two movies out of him in high school. I think that's a pretty good number. I, I agree, and I I think there's I think there's this wonderful uncertainty that we get from that mid credits stinger, uh, where at the beginning of this movie we're told that it's been a, a year since. The blip, and I, th- I think there's actually some delineation between the snap and the blip. The snap being when everybody went dusty, and the blip being when everybody came back. Right. So right. at the beginning of this movie, we're a year after um, uh, after Endgame, and there's been some settling and everything. And I wonder what the time passage is going to be between the end of this movie and the next time we pick back up with Spider Man, right. because we're kind of being set up with. The whole planet knows Peter Parker's identity. All of those beautiful murals of Tony Stark, I guess, are going to get some defacing on them. Uh, I, I love that we saw so many of these loving tributes to Tony Stark that now, you know, with with the truth that the world has been told, you know, being that Tony Stark was not was not all that great of a guy. He was not a good dude. I can't wait to see uh, what people do to uh, take a big 180 on Tony Stark. And maybe they're looking for another giant multinational uh, philanthropist uh, to fall in line behind. Uh, but the, the the sheer number of questions that we have as to where they're going to take it next, because it's going to be a while before we get the next one, because the next two movies up are Black Widow and the Eternals. And neither of those have a reason to check in on the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Do exactly they? right. So here's the question, right? Like, so the, that mid credit stinger, the, the information was brought to you by Two very, very biased sources, right? A brilliant cameo by J.K. Simmons as returning as J. Jonah Jameson, the the role he was born to play. The same way that Robert Downey Jr. is the living embodiment of, of Tony Stark. Uh, J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson. Um, I like the fact that they gave him, you know, the balding part. Yep. So we, we get J. Jonah Jameson, but, uh, but then also... We we get it from Quentin Beck. Is there like some type of government group that the world or at least the United States Americans trust that can say, hey, wait a minute, that that guy Mysterio was the bad guy? Like, is there anybody out there that that people could listen to uh, that people would listen to? I feel like the implication is that the the snap and the blip and the and the pop and the crackle or yeah, whatever. That's right. Uh, like that all destabilized things so much that the world is still rebuilding in a big way. My guess is they're going to as so many science fiction and fantasy things that are theoretically set in our world have to do is they have to find a way to sort of make it plausibly like it's our world. Even though, like, clearly the results of Avengers Endgame have completely changed the way the world works because there's so much half the people disappeared and were gone for five years and then came back, right? That I think they don't want to deal with it. And I think the next time we see kind of the present day in the MCU, it'll be like, oh, we worked it all out. Now it's just like like earth is in the year 2021 or whatever like they'll just like say (laughs) suffice it to say we worked it all out and and with the ending where this movie leaves peter 
the way I read that is not that he's going to be in trouble. It's just going to be that there's going to be a, you know, a little bit of a lack of trust. Like some people are going to like Spider-Man and some people aren't going to trust him. And like, that's Spider-Man. Like that is very, that is another way to get to that core character, right? Which is yes. Threat or menace. Exactly. Right. So I, I, I like chip. I saw this movie twice. Um, I, I, I actually threatened to go see it a third time, but I haven't yet. Um, but the first time that I watched it, I had a lot of problems with it. And I've said, you know, as, as lots of people, Spider-Man is my favorite hero, you know, my favorite character in anything, full stop. Was it that it felt like it was trying to do 12 things at once? No, not that it was trying to do 12 things at once, but it just felt out of character, like as a whole. It just felt out of character. Like, I, you know, I, I, I knew that, you know, from the trailers that I had seen, I knew that they were setting up uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio, the good guy. I was trying to figure out how that was going to work. And then as I was watching the film, I realized, oh, OK, he's he's set for a heel turn in three, two, one. And and that was OK. Um, the interactions between Peter Parker and uh, Nick Fury just they seemed off like they just didn't seem right the way nick fury was acting didn't seem right like everything just seemed a little weird it, it feel it felt like there was a goofy australian inside that black man's right, skin right. It, 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 it really did it really did until you know and obviously you find out at the end that oh you were right uh but like the the fact is that everything felt felt off it felt wrong like you know i was asking the questions during the film why Spider-Man for this, you know, gigantic threat right now? What are webs going to do against a water monster? Why are we going to Spider-Man? And then Peter Parker asked the question, why are you asking me? We've got all of these heroes and they, and you know, and they basically just kind of uh, said, I don't have time to tell you why I don't have yeah. time to tell you, you know? And, and, and I was like, it, it, it just, nothing sat right. And then we got the, then we got the uh, the the Mysterio heel turn, and the way they played with Mysterio felt like it was right out of the comics, and I and I was starting to feel better, but I was still feeling off about the the whole Nick Fury interaction and the way he was acting. And then, of course, we get the the post credit scene, and we find out that these are actually uh, Scroll, and you know we had seen them before in Captain Marvel, blah blah blah, like. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And it took this movie, like, I was really, really kind of conflicted because I was like, is this a Spider-Man film that I kind of don't like? And it went from that to, oh, man, this is brilliant because it made me feel this way and it did so intentionally. But the, the one question I have is what this was actually one of the first Marvel films that I've been to where at the end of the film, nobody left before the credits were over. Usually there are a few families that will get up as soon as the film ends and the credits start to roll and you always look at them like, well, that's weird. But if someone does do that, then they have, they don't have that perspective. I see what you're saying. In fact, I was talking to my wife about this after we watched it. And she said, there are a bunch of things that annoyed me during the movie that then the movie resolved. And some of it involves Mysterio and some of it involves Nick Fury um, in the end. Uh, And she's right. Like, there are those moments where you're like, but what about this? And then the movie very cleverly sort of like points at something and says, ha, see, that wasn't a plot hole at all. It was just this weird thing. I'm not sure 
though, that it's really fair play to have Nick Fury not act right for the whole movie and then at the end just say, well, he was a Skrull. I'm not sure right. I want to give the movie I, I, that much I credit. Agree, I think the, the the thing that makes me sad about that is that is that it mirrors my issue with a bunch of uh, silly comic book twists where sure. they were a scroll the whole time. Yeah, and and I I found myself going, I don't I don't want to be thinking this. I want to be enjoying this movie and not and not have something in the back of my mind nagging at me. Is Nick Fury a scroll? Right. Has he right. been a scroll the whole time? Because he's not acting much like uh, like like Nick Fury. What's uh, what's happening here? I, right, uh, there's those opening scenes in Mexico uh, yeah. before the credits yes. roll. Which, which right. Chip, you know, and I know because we're Doctor Who fans that that was totally Spain posing as Mexico. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> totally, totally. But uh, dialogue where uh, where quote Fury and quote Hill are talking to each other and she's calling him Nick and yes. nobody else is paying attention and right. that makes me feel like the script is not playing fair or we could be all we could Zapruder it and she said and say well she's calling him Nick instead of Fury so that's a tell yeah. right there right okay one more break this time our second sponsor which is Pingdom I've talked about them before and I'm going to give you a scenario now you've been listening to a podcast living your life having a good time if you're responsible for some service on the internet, how would you know if your website had gone down? Well, you could have get an angry call from a boss or, or an angry email from a customer, or you could be alerted right away by somebody who is very nice and is watching your website to make sure you know when it betrays you, and that is Pingdom. You need to know if customers can't click the Buy Now button or access your content. You need a system to do that. You need Pingdom. They'll let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. They'll get the information needed to solve the issue, and they'll send it to whoever is the right person or group of people on your team to do that. Pingdom is dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. They have 70 different global test servers emulating visits to your site all the time checking its availability as often as once a minute all pingdom needs is your url that's it <laughs> what's what is my website and that's it they take care of the rest i use this for the incomparable don't risk being the last to know about something on your site breaking be the first to know when your computers betray you because they will because they're computers and that's what they do. Start monitoring your site today by going to pingdom.com slash Snell. You'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code Snell at checkout and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting The Incomparable. And the weird thing to me is with Mysterio being the villain, yeah, he's portrayed as a good guy in all the trailers, but all of us who were Spider-Man fans knew that Mysterio was the bad guy. It was a matter of when he made the turn. Right. I found myself questioning all kinds of stuff the first time through just because Mysterio is all about not trusting the real nature of things like sure. when you've been hit by scarecrow gas or something like that. Mm -hmm. And and once I started to feel like I had a more solid footing as to when I was being fooled for funsies and, and that I wasn't, in fact, being fooled unfairly in various respects, I got more comfortable with it. But my first time through, that's what made me more uncomfortable. Um, I really, I really enjoyed when we, when we finally got to do some of the Mysterio, like duck amuck stuff, um, right. where, where Spider-Man is trapped in a, in a surreal hellscape of, yeah. of Mysterio's design. Mm -hmm. Like that was really, really solid. That was, yeah. that was, was fantastic. That Steve Ditko stuff. Yes. It, it was is. very, it was, it was very Ditko-y. Yes. Um, 
I, the that 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 for me was where I started to really get comfortable. I mean, I was pretty comfortable when they were playing Ned Leeds and Betty Brant's romances like Dorky Archie and the Riverdale Gang stuff, which was so great. It's very funny. Um, yeah. The high school stuff in this movie, I mean, is I mean, it, it is, is very. It's all yeah, funny and sweet, and and in some ways, like helps you get through the action, which is not like the yeah. action was bad, but like you gotta, you gotta ha- take time to deal with these kids that are kind of lovable and, and are going to ground the movie in a way that the giant fight scenes in various European lo- cities is not going to do it. Yeah. There were a mixture of things going on and I was, I was a little bit uneasy at first, but as we spent a little bit more time with Mysterio, I, I just kept I, I kept telling myself, man, when he turns, that is that is mm-hmm. what this entire movie is going to is going to revolve around it. it, it the, all of the weight of this movie are squarely on his fishbowl mounted shoulders. <laughs> um, and when he did that turn, it was absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It blew my kid's mind, my 17-year-old, who is not at all familiar with Mysterio from the comics. Nice. There is a substantial subset of the American public and the the global movies-going public who does not know who Mysterio is. Right. And I wish I could have been in their heads for this. Right. Because as a comic fan, I know who Mysterio is. I was sort of wondering, okay... What kind of bad guy is he going to be? And there's the heel turn and there are the illusions. And oh, my God, it is the Mysterio that I know. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was so I want to I definitely want to dig into Mysterio here, because if you had told me, okay, they're making a Spider-Man movie and Mysterio is the villain, I'd be like, oh, God, really? Yeah. Yeah, Who else? Who are the other (laughs) villains? I mean, yeah. Who else is in this? (laughs) Paste pot. It's just because he's silly. He's like a magician with tricks and he's got a fishbowl head and whatever. But. This movie, first off, I have to say, Captain Marvel having the scrolls not be the villains, super great fake out. It's still working on me because I now question everything that I assume right. from the comics. <laughs> very good. Very, very powerful. So it makes me question just enough, to, even though I know the history. And then when they do the turn, it's not like a single, like, he doesn't crack. He doesn't reveal himself. They could, they were almost leading up to like... He he's got the power now and he we don't actually know him and Peter is investing uh, things in him that he doesn't actually have and he's going to crack and he's going to turn out to be bad because he's going to let it out of control. And that is not what happens. That reveal is so delightful because the whole bar is full other than the holograms is full of his co-conspirators and the whole thing has been put on with with dozens of people involved. And that's the part that I thought was really great because it wasn't just like, you know, one villain going it was a whole team who was high-fiving and and uh and popping the champagne corks because their scam worked peter billingsley enemy of the world yes yes (laughs) from iron man and you know obviously from a christmas story but he was that character in iron man they brought him back to to do that again and this is my point here is like I would not have ever said, oh, yeah, Mysterio, that's a good idea. And they they really nailed it. They, I, I, yeah. I'm shocked. I'm flabbergasted at how well they treated Mysterio, which is not a character I have any affection for at all in the comics. The most brilliant part of it, though, is is incorporating the fact that he has a whole team of people. It's right. not just Edward Nigma in Batman Forever, right. the one man against the big uh, billionaire. And they're disgruntled corporate workers, which is also all really interesting, right? 
all right. of them. They are all the people who uh, who who were were talked out of unionizing when they should have unionized. In my head canon, these are also people who lost their jobs when Tony Stark did his pivot away from being the, a defense the, yeah. contractor. Right. What do you mean we're it? not blowing up small countries? What do you mean? Yeah. I have, I have yeah. a, I have a Lamborghini to pay another, off. Right. Another nice layer is that Jake Gyllenhaal is um, somebody who was at one point seriously considered to play Spider-Man. And right. I think it's pretty great because when Tobey Maguire was saying that he wasn't going to come back, I think they, they had basically lined him up as the replacement. And I kept thinking about that, too, that he fi- finally we get Jake Gyllenhaal in a, an MCU movie and he is uh, he is a Spider-Man villain, but playing a hero at the beginning. And it's like that. I don't know. I love that about and, it. And, and was delightful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah like yes. He was he was he was believable. He was believable as a hero. Uh-huh. Uh, even though I knew the entire time he was going to become the villain, right. but I was like, "All right, you know." Like I, I, I really tried to do my my best to suspend my comic knowledge to you know to, to compartmentalize that comic knowledge when I go into these films and just watch them as films with uh, comic source material. Uh, and and he was believable as the as the hero and believable as the villain. But he was also kind of syndromey from The Incredibles, right? Like his his goal was to defeat the the defeat the hero, so that he could become the hero, yes. and everyone could worship yeah. him. Everyone, you know, like he, because he has been let down by these guys. Only he and his team know how best to save the world from the scourge that are heroes. He thinks that he is radically more capable and more brilliant and more singular than he is while at once being surrounded by a whole team of people. This is this is a central archetype that we see in Marvel stories of the great genius, the Reed Richards, the Tony Stark, right. the Bruce Banner. He's a failed Tony Stark in a way, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And he doesn't yeah. understand why he... It, can't live up. I mean, it is a story. Oh, and he doesn't of care, and he Peter, doesn't care. Peter wants to live up to Tony Stark, and and Quentin Beck has failed too, and now he he thinks that he's better, and he's just going to take it. I, I will say, um, I I enjoyed Jake Gyllenhaal's performance a lot. I think the one part of it that I didn't like, uh, well, it's not his performance. I didn't like the script going a little bit too forward when he says, they said I was too unstable. And right, I thought, right, you know, right. I yeah. Yeah, that, that think was, we that, can that see was, that. That was, that was verging on Jim Carrey in a body yeah. sock like, territory. Yeah. Yeah. The alternative was him putting lipstick on his face in the mirror. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. you know, yeah. it was and, one and, or the other. Now I have the sunglasses. And then just one more broader point about the MCU villains, but specifically the Spider-Man villains. The Spider-Man yeah. rogues gallery is legendary great to the point that you can take something that a few people have done interesting stuff with in the comics but as a number of us have have enumerated Mysterio is not at the top of our list of oh man I can't wait to see that Spider-Man villain on the big screen Um, I think a lot of us probably wanted to see Kraven the hunter before we saw Mysterio right Um, but the, the thing the thing that I think is really interesting is that in in the characterization of them even if they hew close to some of the archetypes that we've seen before, there's much more distance between that template and who the vulture is, who Shocker is. Um, the tiny glimpse that we got of the scorpion in the first in Homecoming, um, and certainly Mysterio. Uh, I, I I was thinking about 
the Raimi Spider-Man movies and how the setup for Doc Ock's motivation is kind of Mr. Freeze in Heart of Ice from the animated series and not exactly Doc Ock. Not that I'm saying I dislike Spider-Man too, but I I found myself thinking about the way that these villains are set up. And I I really like the way the way that these villains in the Spider-Man MCU movies have been grounded and are not just, you know what, let's dust that one off and and put a different label on it. Not only are they grounded, but they are so thematically a- appropriate for right. the movies that are being mm-hmm. told. And then this is where I think the writing really shines yeah. is that this is the fake news movie. This yes. is entirely yes. about people yes. not being able to trust, not being able to, as Mysterio says, as he's about to bleed out, you know, people just got to believe in believe in something and now they will. Mysterio is all about uh, making people believe something that they uh, that is not true. And that continues all the way through to the end of the movie when um, J. Jonah Jameson turns out to be Alex Jones. Right, right. It all fits into uh, this thing that we've been struggling with, especially for the last couple of years, about uh, the sources of misinformation out there on social media, in mainstream media, what have you. I think that this is probably the MCU at its peak of the movie being relevant to when it's being made. Although the last the last couple of years, they've had a pretty good track record with uh, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and Spider-Man Homecoming. The Spider-Man movies are especially grounded, but all four of these movies, I think, are uh, really thematically relevant to uh, what's going on in the world when the movies were made. Yeah, yeah. I, I sat back a lot during, uh, you know, as I was reflecting on Far From Home and comparing it to Homecoming and comparing the villains. I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was great, but I really do think that I loved the Vulture, um, you know, uh, just 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 from the standpoint yeah. of he he was so grounded, not to say that I didn't love Mysterio, but he was so grounded. His motivations resonated not only with me as the viewer um, you know, something that for you know that I can empathize with, but also you could see how they resonated with Peter, uh, in in so much that he was he was trying to give a leg up to you know Toombs was trying to give the leg up to the little guy, yeah, to the you know to the to the to the regular guy that's walking on the street. He he watches the fat cats take you know take 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 and all we're left with are the scraps and he's trying to get more of the you know more of that pie for for the little guys and and you know peter at this point isn't he's not the peter parker of uh, in his early 20s who's struggling on on you know for rent and all that other stuff and that that may have been it, it may have been too tempting at that point if they had waited and brought the vulture in later on as a you know with an older Peter Parker Spider-Man and he's having that struggle um but it but it still resonated with him uh like oh man yeah trying to make ends meet and doing all those things you know wasn't that level of personal stakes in and and far from home with with regards to the villain and and from that perspective I felt like oh okay yeah he's he's fighting him because he's the bad guy and he's got to fight him and you know he's trying to destroy he's got some goofy plan that Peter doesn't really know and Spider-Man doesn't really know but from from that perspective I like the vulture a little bit better I sl- I slightly disagree on the the volume of the stakes I think they're different and that's that's why 
I, I similar to you, uh, lean toward enjoying the vulture more because I feel like we got more meat on the bone with that one. I love sure. the twist. I love the reveal with Mysterio. I thought it was a brilliant employment of a Spider-Man villain that I otherwise didn't didn't care as much about other than, man, what a cool costume. You know, I, he's the only one who's pulled off a fishbowl helmet. Right. But but Vulture Vulture was Vulture ended up surprising us with the what happens when you meet your girlfriend's dad and he's literally the worst right. <laughs> like the, 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 like that to me that was the beautiful twist with that one and this this one was it was a different kind of thing because tombs wasn't a, a father figure to peter he didn't have a pre-existing relationship with tombs they were just nemeses and it just so happened that they had something in common Fair. but with mysterio it was it, it, i i i i i I get I get where the where where I, I like that they're two distinctly different flavors of villains. Yes. And I hope that we get a third flavor for the Neapolitan ice cream of the third Spider-Man movie. I mentioned Craven the Hunter earlier, and oh, I honestly I would I would not be against uh, J. Jonah Jameson Jones, um, you know, <laughs> getting in league with with a sketchy Russian who's been, uh, you know, responsible for toppling regimes or something like that. Um, I, the, the thing that I keep thinking about is I feel like this two movies in series of Spider-Man movies has earned the notion of building toward the Sinister Six more than everything that's come before sure. and then some. I want to talk a little bit about Peter's uh, various adventures in Europe. We get a travelogue, we get Venice, we get Prague, we get London. And it's fun to have these things in this uh, in these locations and to have the ongoing story of the of the kids who who are uh, on this tour trip and their teachers, of course, get get some nice uh, teacher humor, too, especially as they are taken by Nick Fury and later Mysterio and uh and rerouted in various places so that they can be sort of manipulated in order to keep Peter's identity a secret for a while. And that also leads to the delightful moment where they equip him with a suit, which is basically just like a black outfit that he still has to use his Spider-Man eyes for, which gives the whole thing away anyway, which is kind of ridiculous. But um, <laughs> No, those are night monkey eyes. What are you talking about? It's, and that's right. And, and of course, Ned invents his, that he is the, the night monkey. <laughs> uh, which is then riffed on for quite a while, which is also hilarious. Literally only one person could have heard him say that. Well, she is a journalist. That is true. So, I mean, they they also do name Mysterio, right? Because it's just right. like the mystery man on the on the uh, right. on the news yes. in Italian and they're like oh Mysterio yes that's his name <laughs> il uomo mysterio <laughs> that is the core of this movie is it's a uh, it's it's kids high school kids on a european vacation school trip right but uh and and if that was all this movie was it would be fine we've talked yeah. for most of this episode about all the things that are woven around it but like the it looks it looks nice it's nice to get out of the like u.s settings and have these sort of famous basically we're destroy using special effects to destroy some of the most important treasures of the world and the kids <laughs> get to have you know there's there's humor and we get that we have the the european relationship between uh, ned and betty 
whose namesakes get married in the comics. So that was a kind of a funny, funny little bit as well. And we get the whole MJ Peter thing where, you know, he's really interested in her and she's interested in him, but they're teenagers and they don't do a good job of expressing themselves. And and then it finally kind of comes out that she's figured out he's Spider-Man or at least sort of. And, uh, you know, all that all that stuff was great. Like that that is some of my favorite stuff in the movie is just how they take the time with these characters and they let them have their moments and they let them be kids and make dumb mistakes and you know and and do stupid things that are funny and uh you know i'm glad that this movie didn't lose sight of all of that amid all of the you know plot machinations and cinematic universe implications you know the 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 gosh darned class trip from heck uh sure <laughs> sure is a fun template you know within which to cause some mayhem and and i re- you know jumping from european uh location to european location with with barely as much as a dissolve uh you know it, it sure was a, a fun way to to go on the uh the epcot spider-man festival um yeah. <laughs> you know and and it it gave us an opportunity to have Peter and his high school pals and nemesis um, nemeses, actually, (laughs) I should say Mm -hmm. Um, in, in settings where they get to do, you know, dumb high schooler stuff and they get to wander off from the group and they get to get, put themselves in mortal danger and they get to, uh, you know, figure out how to deal with their feelings and tell each other about their feelings that they have for each other and verbalize things that they are nervous, dorky teenagers. And it's realistic. It's believable. I remember having those awkward, dumb feels where you kind of like somebody and and you misperceive something that is said, and then maybe you don't say anything to them for 10 years. Um, the comedy <laughs> between Ned and Betty. Peter in mid-costume try-on and uh, getting uh, and, and getting uh, photographed. You know, right. all, all right. of the stuff that happens in that first third of the movie. The secret to the MCU's critical success is the fact that they do interesting things with good actors, well-written miles away from any of the costumes and in terms of writing and in terms of acting they deliver on that consistently throughout the movie i've got some quibbles about the directing i'll get to later but the 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 high school road trip uh overseas is delightful question guys what's up with flash thompson was mother not able to be here he was so sad. Yeah, so his parents are very rich and they don't pay attention to him. I, I, say, I say, Butler, Mama could not make it. <laughs> well, there's earlier, there's a thing where he's like, neither of them are there or something like he he, he hasn't right. seen them. And he's he's just this, you know, he's the sad little rich boy who's got all the toys, but no love from his parents. And that's apparently that's his damage. But but there there is definitely like they keep peeling off the uh, the gyro meat off the spit uh, yeah. and and giving it to us as Flash Thompson. Apparently, there is a gyro spit uh, where we find out about Flash's parents potentially. Because um, they, they can't keep throwing that stuff out there. <laughs> I don't know. They, they they use him tactically. I mean, Tony Revolori is he's great in this role. Right. He's better than he ha- than Flash Thompson has any right to be. <laughs> you know, I, I like that they that they have that they have continued to examine this high school bully dynamic with Flash not being your typical jock, but having some sort of privilege that he holds over Parker's head. And he emotionally, psychologically, situationally, you know, bullies him. And we still got those notes from the comics where Flash is the hugest fan of Spider-Man in the world. Little does he know. Oh, little does he know. Um, 
I, you know, I, I like where they're going with it. And Tony Revolori, uh, if you haven't seen the Grand Budapest Hotel, um, which was his real big breakout role. Uh, oh, boy, don't sleep on that for much longer. He is so incredibly talented. I can't wait to see where they take this. And as they've continued to just kind of amalgamate, change things, as you were talking, I I came I came to to thinking I wouldn't be entirely opposed if Flash Thompson and Harry Osborn ended up kind of being the same person. Yes, that's I that was kind of my speculation, too, was that. Uh, it would be weird, but I I would kind of be fine with it. Yeah. Flash Thompson may be the, the new villain. I mean, there's precedent in the comics that uh, Parker and Thompson became friends in the end. And then, you know, I I complain a little bit about, uh, Peter Parker, not being quite the Peter Parker of the comics that I, that did that Lee and Ditko created or, uh, that I got accustomed to Zendaya as MJ is not very, Mary Jane Watson like no. at all. And yet yeah. she is the I think she's possibly the best thing about this movie, honestly. She's very much Gwen Stacy ish. Yeah, Gwen Stacy ish yeah. and MJ. Um Gwen Stacy was very antagonistic towards Peter Parker and Spider-Man, uh, in in ways, um, while still loving him. And and uh yeah, Zendaya, Zendaya definitely uh embodies that. I mean, for me, the the thing about the way that Zendaya plays MJ is I'm totally fine with her not being the, um, you know, aspiring model, you know, pretty girl romance comics character that she was originally envisioned as. Um, And I kind of don't care who's mad at me about that because, you know, fair play to to Stan, uh, you know, when he created her, he he was effectively creating a comic book version of his wife, right? Um, who was, you know, the pretty princess damsel to be rescued and that kind of thing. And I'm totally fine with this very different take that they they've gone with, which for me is is um, is more akin to Daria from the MTV show. Hmm. Um, you know, she she's she's droll. She's deadpan. She's hilarious. She's brilliant. Um, she's incredibly smart. And she doesn't care what your template is. She's going to make her own. Uh, you know, there, there is going to be a new template for how she can be. Uh, and I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Um, I, I think we've gotten incredibly right off of the page representations of Spider-Man's love interests. And I like, I like breaking away from that. That isn't to say that I don't have issues with, you know, and this is something that we actually mentioned on the homecoming episode, um, that, uh, in, in my opinion, as as much agency as I as I thought, you know, like Liz had being, you know, captain of the decathlon team and, you know, there, there being a bit more to do. It, it, it wasn't enough then and it still isn't enough in terms of of female characters having a whole lot to do in this movie. We we effectively had MJ. We had Betty. Um, we had uh, Skrull Maria Hill. Uh, we had one of Mysterio's four main assistants, um, Aunt May for like 12 seconds. Right. It it would be nice. It would be nice to see, um, as, as, as much off of the template as they're going with MJ, it would be nice to see them do more of that with female characters in general. So maybe Felicia Hardy comes into the picture somewhere. There's plenty of room for that. There's plenty of room for ghost spider or spider woman or whatever they're calling her, you know, years in the future, there's room for all of these characters, including Miles Morales, you know, there's plenty that they can do with the franchise, but I agree with you, Moises, they're not doing enough now. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, well, nine movies in, I think we could probably introduce Gwen <laughs> Stacy. You no, know, let's just do it now. Just do it now. We, <laughs> we've we revealed Spider-Man's identity in movie two. Yeah. Right. I want to open it up for whatever we haven't talked about that you want to bring up. I know Chip mentioned something about the directing. Let's let's get into that because I, I sort of reached the end of the things that I wanted to be sure that we talked about. And we've been going for a little more than an hour. So I think now uh, bring out whatever you've got uh, that you, you just can't get out. Chip, why don't you talk about the directing? We'll start there. It was adequate <laughs> it was a motion picture it, it was a well put together um you know it was kind of a ron jones directed um deep cut doctor who yeah. reference mm-hmm. there there were moments like when uh, the teacher mr harrington i believe uh when he f- falls asleep and falls on peter's shoulder or when the first water elemental bubble uh, bursts out of the water when you can sit there in the theater seat and count down three to one, right, the thing sure. is going to happen. Right. Uh, the effects stuff done in the um, when uh, Peter is trapped in Mysterio's uh, illusions, right up to the point where Peter is hit by a train, that's amazing. But that stuff felt, you know, just so very, very carefully storyboarded. Um, everything else was, you know, it served the script, but didn't do much more than that. I thought. Yeah, I. This is not what I would call a. I don't know. It doesn't feel like an auteur kind of uh, MCU movie in the in the way that some do, where there's a like a a very specific voice. Now, you know, John Watts directed Spider Man Homecoming, and the credited writers here um, were at least uh, yeah they they got writing credits on Spider Man Homecoming with some other writers who are not involved in this. So uh, you know, it, it's it, there is some continuity there, but I I agree. I didn't feel like and and part of this may be that this is a Sony thing and there it's a it's a different kind of feel but this this felt a little more like it it came out of the factory like and yeah, i liked like, it a it lot felt, it but, felt very house right. style but it, yeah right. it, it doesn't try to after a run other than the, the big avengers tentpoles like we had a run there of a lot of kind of like quirky different kind of Right. Marvel movie stories that that were were told in different ways, and Captain Marvel was was retro, and we we got Black Panther, which sh- showed us a whole different kind of the world, and you know the Ant Man movies are different, and like there are a lot of like different kinds of Marvel movie. This feels like you know it is house style, or or it is right. it is like a Marvel movie or a Spider Man movie. It, it it's not trying to be different and and that it's actually funny because there have been so many marvel movies lately that have been trying to go off the template yeah i mean it's it's literally grounded i mean and and cicero (laughs) you were talking about you know this is the grounded hero and i think that the direction is kind of grounded as well up until the point when they really let loose with the cgi Right. Um, and but, you know, I mean, it gets it it gets the job done and uh, um, he gets a lot out of the actors. Yeah. When they let loose with the CGI, one of the great meta things about this movie is the movie's basically saying, people, it's all just special effects, right? Like, right, yeah, essentially, right, right. that's what the, the climax... Jake Gyllenhaal's even wearing the... the like, emotion suit. Yeah, I mean, mean, I, I want to say yeah. that there were there were spy shots from the set of Gyllenhaal in the mocap suit that we didn't realize was actually <laughs> his costume for the <laughs> right. scene we were watching. <laughs> 
which yeah, was just so good. The big battle at the end of the movie, and what happens is our hero has to fly inside of it to go backstage and break yeah. all the things that are causing the big action scene to happen. That is, like, I did really enjoy that they were playing with that on that level. That was a lot of fun. You know, the the the, the things you guys are getting at remind me of something that 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 I kept feeling. I, I had never been to a Disney park until last year, and I went oh. to Disney World, and one of the things that I was most fascinated uh, by was just... It, it was just the staging of everything of of the the environment that was manufactured of the things that are painted a certain color to distract you from them and and this movie felt very imagineered if that makes mm-hmm. sense it felt like it felt like a ride and people use that very cheaply and very very often to describe oh it's an action packed thrill ride for the senses to sell movies but in terms of just the construction of the movie it felt very much like oh don't turn on the lights on space mountain where it's it's very specifically engineered to look a certain way, behave a certain way, not have anything particularly flashy or out of the ordinary. And if anything, the cool effect was when the effects were dropped or you saw behind the curtain, you saw behind the scenes where you're not supposed to go beyond the barriers uh, that only cast members are supposed to go to. Um, and that that to me, I mean, it, it, it went down to the fact that, yeah, the big CG fight scenes were not even really thrilling in the parlance of CG fight scenes. And it was supposed to be that way, but we're not prepared for that. So it's it's weird to be calling a mega budgeted superhero movie um, fascinatingly subversive. <laughs> but but that's that's how it that's how it came off to me in retrospect, where it was not trying to wow me and be amazing. And did I feel bad uh, paying for the Dolby Cinema thing at AMC to watch it? Uh, and and think maybe I could have just watched this, you know, five bucks cheaper uh, in one of the other multiplex screens and been totally fine. Yeah. And I, I just I, I enjoyed being fooled at the end of the day more than uh, than I was let down by the fact that there wasn't something like the psychedelic sequence in Doctor Strange or the quantum realm bit in the first Ant-Man there, movie. There is you know? a little bit, right? I, I think that they, right. It, right. It, although it isn't pushing it to the extreme, I think the Mysterio hallucination stuff is visually interesting. It's not yeah, as totally. interesting as Doctor Strange, but I think, I, I mean, I did appreciate that, how artful that was, because in a movie that is grounded, that was a moment where they didn't turn it up to 11 but they did let the movie get weird for a little bit and i did appreciate that they did that and weird in a different way different from the quantum realm different from doctor strange you know uh still a different distinct visual identity yeah uh guys can we talk about happy hogan for a second Uh, um happy hogan like how the hell does he wind up in all these films and how does he do nothing but also be like monumentally important in, 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 in like you know Endgame, I I was I was okay with everything until Happy sat down with Tony's daughter and talked about hamburgers, and then I was done. I was cheeseburgers. They were cheeseburgers, right? Uh, I was you know I was I was a wreck. Uh, the fact that happy is you know obviously he's the he's the conduit between he was the conduit between peter and tony and now he is the the like i don't know the you know the guy that knows tony and and so well, they they're the, they're the survivors right they're tony's right. they're tony's survivors in this movie where they're both having to live up with, to tony's wishes right but but he also 
is dating the hottest Aunt May ever. Yep. Like, you know, MJ isn't the sex symbol. It's Peter's aunt. I actually like Happy a lot more in this movie than in Spider-Man Homecoming because there he is saddled with the most ridiculous part of the plot, which is the right, we're going to move everything man. on an airplane that's going to crash, which is just right. dumb. Like you put it, you could also put it in a truck, but no, right. we're going to put it on a remote controlled airplane and right. fly that around. And he, he has to be the guy who does that. But in this one, yeah, I mean, he... He gets to be the bridge to Tony, and I love when he comes back. That that is, they he comes back at exactly the right time, right? Where they get right. the gag, where they that was in the trailer, where you work you work for Spider Man. No, I work with Spider Man, and then the <laughs> plane blows up. But then after yeah. that, you know, he's running around, and they're in the Crown Jewels, and then he gets to, uh, you know, when he when he and Peter are on the plane, he's equipping Peter with the. Uh, with a suit and gets to watch him right. become more Tony Stark-like. And like, that is, it, it is weird. I mean, we know that John Favreau is, is involved with Disney and he's doing the Mandalorian and all of this stuff. And he's directed all these direct other Lion Disney movies. King and- exactly right. But uh, also like it is, it is an important bridge to the root story of the MCU, right? Which is that, that first Iron Man movie. And, and right. so if they're going to keep calling back to that and saying, boy, is this like Peter going through his own Iron Man kind of thing? Who better than to have Happy there as his kind of like not very good at times mentor? Like that's kind of, you know, I I found myself thinking when they were in in the vault with the crown jewels, (laughs) if I were describing this to a friend who hasn't seen the movie yet. okay, so then Happy Hogan, MJ, uh, Ned Leeds, Betty Brant and Flash Thompson are in the vault with the crown jewels. The friend yeah. would stop me and go, are you talking about a Spider-Man movie or a Spider-Man comic? <laughs> comic? Right, right. Because yeah. the, the and for me, that, that's another way that the movie really succeeded for me is that it felt very comic booky, not in the sense of, oh, look, it's the panels, the storyboards and it, it, it's, you know, Watchmen style panel by right. panel by panel by panel. Right. But it just it had comic booky energy. And stuff because right, it was just on its own. How did yeah, they get there? Ridiculous. How did they get there? And there's nobody else there. There was literally nobody down there. Have you been to a national historic site recently? <laughs> Shout out to Getty Images. Yes. Oh my Shout god, that, that, yes, my kids love that. So that and, and, and their review of it was like it's super cringy, but also exactly what that kind of thing would be. And I agreed. It's yes. like that's the beauty of it. I'm so glad they got back to it because I love that joke in Homecoming. And so to have the cheesy thing and have the Getty image watermark and all of that just is so good. <laughs> and the so air horn. My, my son was, <laughs> my son also yeah. concurs, concurs with your kids. Yeah, teenagers <laughs> review that and say they did a pretty good job. They obviously had a good teenage focus group or something to come in and make that uh, appropriately cringe, but uh, yeah. they did a good job and I love it. And that guy, the co-anchor where they do the yes. zoom and he and he's like looking at the camera and all that is so good. It's so bad, but so good. <laughs> Jumping back to J. Jonah Jameson for a second, uh, I, I hope that this means that we're going to get more of him in the next movie and and not just you know he returned to the role and served a plot purpose i i i really dig this iteration of jameson where initially as i'm watching it and i'm looking at the trappings of the set design i'm going oh my god they're doing infowars jjj oh my god oh my god i mean the daily bugle is a perfect name for it and yeah yeah, i realized you know the original purpose of the daily bugle being a bully pulpit for an ill-mannered editor who has the worst intent um and wants to influence national policy and public uh and public popularity it's perfect. It right. is exactly dead on. And it makes J. Jonah Jameson dangerous in a way that he's not really in the Raimi movies. And he kind of always was. He was supposed to be another kind of ever present threat for Spider-Man. And 
I I now don't miss him not having been in the MCU until now for him to serve this purpose. I, I thought I thought you know initially knee jerk. I I was worried it was going overboard, but I am totally on board with this. Yeah, they they have not engaged, and the Andrew Garfield movies didn't either engage with this key part of Spider Man's whole thing. I mean, I would argue J. Jonah Jameson is a more important character in Spider-Man than any of his rogues gallery, like than any right. well, of ex- them, except, except maybe the Green Goblin. Green right. Goblin. Yeah. Right. But like you, you list, you listed and, and it's like, there's Spider-Man and Aunt May, right? right. Okay. Right. And there's uh, the Green Goblin and J. Jonah Jameson and the rest of them, yep. I could take or leave, right? Like that, that's, yep. that's your cast. Like MJ, and uh, yeah. and you can throw in Gwen Stacy, but really it's MJ. So there's five. There's five. Like he's a top five Spider-Man supporting cast member. And 100%. the Garfield, <laughs> the Garfield movies were like, look, we can't even touch J.K. Simmons, so we're just going to walk away and do the Lizard <laughs> and Electra, whatever. And and then MCU was also like, mm, let's just mm, that's not let's let's figure out how we're going to strategically deploy this if and when. And apparently the behind the scenes on this is they they literally called him two days before, set him up in front of a green screen. And it was the last thing they shot. Wow. I believe it. And I mean, and for J.K. Simmons, first off, he's a brilliant actor. And second, like he, yeah. he's lived in the J. Jonah Jameson shoes. He yeah. knows the he knows the deal. Right. Well, uh, well, apparently, apparently the deal is that that he was reluctant at first and then he got on the phone and they explained what the take was and he was immediately in. Yeah. You're Alex wow. Jones, which is such a great because th- they've also struggled. And this is a thing we'll talk about when we do the Raimi movies later this summer. But like. The Raimi movies are very much like they're set in the 2000s, but they're really set in the 60s. And it's, you know, yeah. it's a newspaper yeah, kind of thing. In, in the 1960s, 2000s. And, and since the death of newspapers, it's been like, well, what do you do with J. Jonah Jameson? And I like this take. I think this is about right, right? He is the, yeah. he is an internet video paranoid <laughs> Alex Jones guy. It's great. Right. All right. Well, I think I'm going to close it up there. Um, but I want to thank you all for talking this through. I was very excited to watch this movie and I wanted to talk about it. And uh, podcasts are great for that. So... I would like to thank my guests for being here. Chip Sutter, thank you so much. And I... Oh, boy. Cicero Holmes, thank you. Uh, I am never doing that again. <laughs> boy says Chuyun, thank you. Yes, Janice, I still need the cape! <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>